Hey everyone, this is your host Josh Baker with the Intelligent Conversations podcast where we believe everyone has a form of intelligence that resides within them. Our goal is to encourage these type of conversations for our audience to listen to. Without further ado, welcome to the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Intelligent Conversations podcast. Today I have the honor to speak with Mike Page. Mike is a frequent presenter and consultant on ethical practices and workplace trust. I think we all need a little bit more of that. He currently holds multiple board positions, such as the AAA National Ethical Practices, uh, Utah Division of Occupational and Professional Licensing, and the Utah Division for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing. Mike also is a member of multiple organizations and is very involved in his community and likes to do what he can to help. So, Mike, thank you for coming on. I'm very excited to hear what you have to say today. And like I said, uh, ethics, I think is a huge thing. I want my audience to just hear this. I think you, you will be the best person to share that. But I want to get right into this. And I want to ask you this question. And that is, what motivated you to even get into ethics and workplace trust in the first place? Well, first of all, thanks so much, Josh, for having me. And I appreciate the opportunity and especially just to interact in a in a simple but uh, engaging conversation with you. I'm looking forward to the time together. Um, I've been in pediatric health care for most of my career. I'm a pediatric audiologist and the history has been uh, involved with um, individuals, particularly infants, neonates, um, and children with hearing loss. And uh, so I've been in that setting for a very long time and uh, and uh, managed the uh, cochlear implant program at Primary Children's Hospital in Salt Lake City for a time as well. In all of that, I was always looking at relationships and, mm-hmm. and relationships were really critical. And my number one relationship in healthcare was always with the patients or their families, <clears throat> but I also looked at the relationships we would foster with other coworkers, uh, physicians, nurses, um, administrators, all of those. And then we also had relationships with companies, pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies, etc., that would want to sell us things that we would in turn <clears throat> use for treatment for these kids. And I looked at I wanted really to understand the motivation behind these um, these uh, relationships, and uh, at some point in time, I got involved with another colleague who was uh, a member of the American Academy of Audiology Ethical Practices Committee, and she said, "We'd like you to come join us." and And i I was really immediately taken by that opportunity. Well, that that as well as some work on the licensing board for the state of Utah um, showed me the intensity of my interest in in these relationships and again what motivates people to do what they do all of those experiences drove to witnessing some of the unfortunate manifestations of unethical behavior and then those because of those committees and those boards those um those relationships when they went awry, were brought before those ethical practices committee or the um, professional licensing committee, and then we would evaluate those. and And so that's really kind of what got started. And I I realized that I had a very intrinsic interest in that. And ethics are all about relationships. You can't be unethical all by yourself. 
it, it really always involves someone else. And that's, that's where the egregiousness or the potential for egregious behavior comes in when I have a relationship with you or with a patient or someone else. So that, that's kind of the origin of this. That, that's cool. I've, I've never heard that. I'm definitely going to use that. The, you can never be unethical by yourself. That's, that's true. I mean, it's always when people look at things that are unethical, I find that it's oftentimes they say, hey, like, isn't that they're always telling someone else like, hey, isn't that unethical? And it kind of brings up a conversation like or a question that I have. And that's uh, what what do you what what kind of like sets the standard, though? I think a lot of people like when it comes to ethics, I feel like everyone has that different standard. Like, how do you like find that standard that you have for what your ethics are? It's the most appropriate question to ask, really. Um, when you look at standards, if you're involved in any kind of professional arrangement or agreement or professional association or otherwise, most most organizations will have codes of ethics. And so if you're a contractor, you've got a contractor codes of code of ethics <clears throat> that may be driven by um, a national or a state organization, or it could be driven by licensure code and rules that are, you know, approved by legislative bodies. But in even more basic than that, there has been a, a number of publications over the years. One particularly many years ago was a publication by uh, uh, Beauchamp and his colleagues, and, and they outlined four really key aspects of ethics. And, and these may surprise you, as they did me when I first stumbled onto them years ago. I thought, wow, really? And um, the first one is the quest for autonomy, independence. The second one is beneficence. The second one, or the third one is maleficence. And the fourth one is justice. And so if you take all four of those and kind of break those and explode them apart a bit, um, flesh those out, you'll see that there are there are ways that those become the standards. So the first one, in terms of autonomy, if you and I have a professional relationship, my respect for your autonomy means that I will not coerce you to do or say or decide anything that takes away your autonomous need. And so when we talk about this in healthcare, um, I want patients to be autonomous in their decisions about healthcare. I don't want to, I want to influence them for good and be able to provide information, but ultimately they have the choice to proceed with every or any or no aspect of treatment at all. And that's my respect for their autonomy. The second one, um, beneficence. Beneficence is really the, the intrinsic desire to do good. Mm -hmm. That, that's really all it is. Am, am I going, am I, if I'm your healthcare provider, Josh, will I, in the deepest parts of my heart, want to do things for your good? That'll be a standard against which I will weigh all of my recommendations, my decisions, and that is, will I do it for your benefit? Not mine, but for, but for yours. And so that's another standard. The third standard is maleficence. And we want to avoid maleficence, which is that is the 
the desire for bad, actually. And so, can I say that in every interaction I will have with you, whether you're a patient, a friend, a neighbor, a colleague, a coworker, or whether or not I've hired you or you've hired me or whatever to, you know, to finish my basement, um, do I, can I really, truly eliminate the desire to cause harm? There was, um, there was a, an attribution to, um, I think it was, um, trying to think, to do no harm, which came out of um, one of the uh, very, very early uh, centuries ago, one of the great physicians of all time, and, and we talk about it as uh, the Hippocratic Oath uh, to yeah. do no harm. Well, Hippocrates, actually, that was not part of his Hippocratic Oath, but he did say it. He essentially did say that in his work as a physician, and this is BC time period, in his work as a physician, could he commit to doing no harm to a patient? And that's part of uh, avoiding maleficence. And then the final part of that, and again, we're, we're talking about what the standards are. How do we set standards for ethics? The fourth part of that is justice. And justice means, did you get what is rightly yours? Did you receive what was rightly yours? And so, if I was your healthcare provider and you came to me and you had an issue that you needed help with, I offered a treatment, again, in the spirit of autonomy, beneficence, and uh, maleficence. Did you ultimately receive the treatment that you desired? and that was rightfully yours, that you or your insurance company paid for, and that I gave according to that, did that happen? And so that point of justice kind of forms the cap or the, the culmination of those four ethical practice principles, if you will. Yeah, I, thank you for those four points. I think that really breaks it down. I was actually going to ask uh, when you were first starting if you could you know, break it down and say, what's a more, because my audience is generally speaking, 18 to 24 year olds, they're, nice. you know, they're in college, they're, you know, experimenting, you know, seeing what they want to do with their life is, I guess, the better word. And uh, I, I, when you started talking, I was like, oh, we, we need ethics, like, and uh, when you started uh, talking when you started uh, breaking it down, I was like, autonomy, yes, everyone needs to have that choice. And I think, especially when you, you know, after you graduate high school, a lot of people, they start having that choice. And then uh, steps two, three, and then four. And uh, a little bit on the justice part of things, what, what do you think happens? Like, because I think a lot of people, I mean, we're seeing this today, a lot of people are starting to compromise some of those values, some of those ethics. What 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 is the most common you would say thing that is kind of just compromise like people is it peer pressure that tends to help people compromise their values or is it what what tends to be the number one reason of why people compromise their values well that's a great question and an incredibly thoughtful one um i think in this time and place <clears throat> to some regard there's no difference between why people do the things they do now and why they did it a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. Um, there, and you and I both know there is, and I believe, for instance, that there's a part of consciousness 
And that is just almost a an awareness. We could call it spirituality if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, some people call it conscience. Some people call it the Holy Spirit. Some people call it intuition. Whatever that is, I believe that every human being is born with that. And somehow, in life and in our in our um, engagements in life, that becomes somewhat compromised. Sometimes people feel like they've been taken advantage of. And in times where people have been unethical or have, have manifested unethical behavior, they'll often come back in, in some of the situations I've been, will ask, you know, what motivates you to do these things? Well, I feel justified because so-and-so did XYZ to me. <clears throat> and and yet, if we take that back to autonomy, autonomy forces us to allow the other person to make their choice without it impacting us. So if if you make a bad choice and then you turn around or you make me make a bad choice, I'm not offering autonomy because I'm not autonomous because I was influenced by your bad behavior, and then I had bad behavior, so I'm no longer autonomous. And and one of the greatest things is to realize that personal strength comes in the ability to allow, to allow every single human being to choose as they wish. Now, that may be totally and 100% against my morality, against my personal standards or um, behavior, mm-hmm. but I have to allow you to do that. I have to. Now, if you're going to do something that is going to harm me or my family, I'm, of course, I'm going to defend myself. But on the other hand, when it comes down to most of these human interactions that will eventually generate an egregious ethical behavior, I, I have to allow that to you, and I have to not be impacted by you. So back to your question, you know what what prompts people to to do what what motivates people to uh, behave unethically and some of it is that we accept the influence from others in a negative way we accept their maleficence towards us instead of allowing them their own choice in in an autonomous way yeah i that, thank you for sharing that that was I think you well said there. I think a lot of people, again, compromise their values. And, but the thing is, is you have to, I I totally agree with you. You have to let them make that choice. And sometimes, especially when it's people close to you, you're like, man, I, I don't want you to make this choice, but at the same time, you have to respect that choice. And as hard as it is to watch them, I think it also can serve as a learning experience because something I found, and especially, I mean, you've, uh, dealt with workplace trust and trust in that regard. And something I found with trust, especially is once, once you break it, or like you try and experiment with dishonesty, you, you tend to find that eventually you always get caught. You always, it always comes crumbling down at some point, even if you get away with it for years and years, like decades, even eventually there comes a point when you, you become compromised. The world looks at you and say, Hey, like, you, you've started to hurt other people and we need to take action against that. And, you know, like justice, I guess you, you get what rightfully is yours. I think that's how it swings. It's the nice, uh, 
oh, what's the analogy? You're, you're probably familiar with it. It's the lady, lady justice. She's blindfolded, right? And all she can sure. do is just swing the hammer. What well, I can't remember what the thing was. It wasn't an ax or a hammer. I can't sure. remember. Well, but the whole idea behind it is independence. It is independence. And, and in terms of us judging others, can we judge others independent of our own biases? So bias has so much to do with that. And Lady Justice is that manifestation of, of the hope for lack of bias. It, it is the hope for independence and impartiality. I recently, well, I'm still actually engaged in a certificate training program at Cornell University on mediation, and it it addresses exactly what you're talking about, and that is the ability to be impartial. And in fact, good mediators, another term for them is neutral. I'm a neutral. I'm a mediator. I'm a neutral. But they call themselves neutrals. And neutrals... The hope is that we are neither, and you think about Lady Justice and how mm-hmm. how the the scale weighs itself. The idea behind that is that we find some equality, some neutrality in our in our judgment. And having been on a number of boards and in a number of situations where I am one of several who act in a group to provide judgment for certain egregious um, situations, it's a very tough place to be. And we always ask ourselves about what's what's my personal bias? As I walk into this, do I have a bias? As I walk into this podcast today, do I have a positive bias for you, Josh? Do I have a negative bias for you? Um, or what would be the biases that influence our relationship or our engagement today? And And biases are part of that. And and back to your kind of your question or your comment, I think the biases are they have the potential to influence every aspect of how we respond to unethical behavior in others. And sometimes that's retaliatory. Uh, sometimes that's um, you know even supportive. Uh, it would it would be the full spectrum. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think especially how our government is even sent set up. It's it's set up to be like that. And again, I think you touched on the bias. I mean, I I personally believe it's really, really hard to be like that total neutral. There'll always be you swayed one way or the other. And that's honestly how we get fights and, you know, people disagree all the time. But I want to ask you this, how can we respectfully, like, I mean, I guess you've kind of already answered this, but I mean, there's not, there seems to be not too much respect anymore for opposing views for people. How do we kind of establish that respect for each other now? Great. Another great question. Um, This reminds me of some of the research that came out of Harvard Business Review. And some of it was uh, not in collaboration with, but came out somewhat simultaneous with some some stuff that Simon Sinek, whom you may be aware of, Simon Sinek came out with some of these things too. And they all centered around trust and respect. And one of... One of the things that uh, Simon Sinek, uh, and this was actually proven out later in Harvard's research, one of the things that he indicated was that trust has to become the number one reason why we hire people in the workplace today. And there's an, anal- there's, there's an analogous relationship between 
um, between respect and trust. The lack of respect is really the lack of trust. Um, Simon Sinek, I remember in a talk, and if you've seen a lot of him, you'll remember that he took this white paper and he drew an XY axis on it. And on the Y axis, which was a vertical line, he wrote the word performance. On the X axis, which was a horizontal line, he wrote trust. And each one had an arrow heading out in kind of the infinity direction. And he said, when we hire people these days, we typically hire for trust, performance, knowledge, and experience, or not for trust, I'm sorry, we hire for performance, knowledge, and experience. That's, that's when we, that, the vast majority of our questions these days to job candidates are about their performance, their experience, and their knowledge in the, in the subject matter. He said, we rarely, if ever, evaluate or, or interview someone for trust. And that mm-hmm. happens to be the x-axis is trust. Now, he said, theoretically, we want somebody that's highly trusted and high-performing, high intelligence, um, all of that. But he, he asked the question, if you had to sacrifice performance or trust in a job candidate, which one would you sacrifice? Most people sacrifice trust. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you can't afford to do that. He said... In, and the research substantiated that as well, that it's better to have a lower-skilled individual, lesser-skilled individual, and but an individual that we have absolutely high trust. So when it comes back to there seems to be a lot of maybe lack of respect in today's world, I agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. And, and that reflects on the degree to which we have been able to or unable to develop relationships of trust. Part of what I do in my work as well is to help teams identify individuals, um, candidates that they may hire on the basis of trust as well as skill and experience. But, you know, when was the last time you were in a job interview and somebody asked you questions related to your trustworthiness? It really, it doesn't happen. And uh, one of the role plays I love is to is to interview someone for trust and to go through a series of questions about how do I know that I can trust you? And, and it, these are very straightforward questions. They make people uncomfortable. Um, but on the other hand, I've had people tell me a number of times I've, I've never been interviewed like that. And I love the questions because it gives me an opportunity to put my best self out there because I feel like I am a trustworthy person. I've got the skill too, but I do want you to trust me. Um, I've always joked around at people that how do I know if I can trust someone and and they have to answer two questions. Can I trust you with my garage code and the key to my car or my truck? Oh and wow. If I, if I would give you both of those, chances are I would I would trust you with most anything. Well, that's just my silly kind of anecdotal measure for trust. And there are certainly even better ways to do that. But but I, I've gotten to the point when I meet someone new, that those questions automatically come up in the back of my mind. As I find somebody new that I'm meeting at a meeting, I think, hmm, garage code? Truck key? Yeah. Did I do it? <laughs> hey, we're good to go. <laughs> and I will tell you that most times... I would say yes to that. I, I, my view of humanity is generally really positive 
and uh, and I feel like that's what can help restore respect. But I again back to your question about lack of respect. I think what we can do these days to restore that is to offer respect to others. Again, with no expectation of respect in return, nothing. And I find, especially people of different walks of life and different um, experiences, different persuasions, the more I'm willing to listen and respect and pay respect to whatever choices they've made, um, the more I get that in return. And it's pretty gratifying. So I think the answer is, let, let me respect you regardless of where you are in your life, regardless of the decisions you've made. Um, I think yeah. that's, that's one simple solution. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. You have, to, you have to give something up. You have to sacrifice something in order. Again, it's the balance, right? Justice has to bring it to balance. I think that's something I think a lot of, I, I, I've loved the words you've said there. And a little, I want, I want to kind of touch on the, job thing there i something i like to think because i've I, i've been starting a business i'm starting my career as well and something i've been thinking about is what i hire like when it comes to hiring i'm like soft skills like trustworthiness uh punctuality all these things i'm like those are things that are day-to-day like i think that's more important i mean hard skills yes are important but i'm like ultimately if it really came down to it i could teach hard skills like you can put them in a classroom, you can pay for their tuition, you can do whatever it takes, right, to give them the hard skill knowledge. But when it comes to soft skills, that's, again, you have to give them that autonomy and, you know, that freedom of choice to let them make their own decisions. And that's what I think is ultimately the most important thing when it comes to hiring candidates is saying, hey, like, what are your soft skills? Like, what are you, what are you good at, like, in that regard? Because obviously, you're applying for this position, you think you're confident in to do this task but tell me like what what can we expect from you on a day-to-day basis because ultimately that's what's going to show is the soft skills on a day-to-day basis the hard skills obviously will help with performance and you know you need to go out and get those hard skills but i think that is more teachable than uh soft skills in my opinion but it's a brilliant observation josh seriously and and i can show you research that would substantiate exactly what you just said, that we can teach the hard stuff, we can't teach the soft stuff. But I'll tell you that the the trend now in the workplace, and I have a training course now called Soft Skills Are the New Hard Skills. And, and the training course involves identifying these, what we've once called soft skills, trust, respect, um, mutual respect, integrity, excellence, accountability, all those things that we've thought are the kind of the soft, squishy things, um, we can no longer sacrifice those. We cannot, we, we must have those up front. And then once we have those, then let's, let's look at the, uh, the performance and the skills. And, and you are correct. I can train that. There's not anything I've done in my career that I couldn't train you to do technically. And, and in a, in my doctoral courses, it, it was very highly technical anatomy, but they see, they taught me. Yeah. And and I wouldn't expect to teach you and grant you the same credential, but what they can't teach me is uh, are some of these other skills that are so critical in relationships. One of the research pieces that came out indicated that those with 
high performance skill but low trust skill are the most toxic people in the work environment mm -hmm. wasn't that I, I remember seeing something uh wasn't that conducted didn't they do that with navy seals they had like they actually chose the leaders for the like navy seals so these are like the most elite of the elite it's like the elite of the elite uh soldiers and they found that it's better to have the uh high performance high trust obviously but then also the low performance and the high trust are better than the uh, uh high performance low trust when it came Correct. to the navy seals i i think that was was that the study they conducted there i think i remember that was that was a great story that was told by simon sinek he infiltrated the u.s navy seals and interviewed commanders and and you know the commanders said you know everybody thinks that the best u.s navy seal is the guy that walks into the recruiting office with big pecs hairy chest <laughs> big arms and big beefy dudes he said when those guys walk in we kind of laugh them out the door he said we're not looking for that and he said, the, the guys that we're looking for or women that we're looking for in uh, the U.S. Navy SEALs are ones that we are absolutely, we know they are committed to trust. And then he told this story about, um, he said, one of our kind of our tests is, is sometimes comes through the, the midnight swim in the middle of the yeah. ocean. And, um, and he said, the ones that we want are the ones that are kind of on their last breath treading water after hours of being in the ocean, that reach out and rescue their brother or their sister, their co-worker that's out there struggling in the ocean as well. Those that will risk their life for their buddy's life in, in the end, that, that's what we want. That's what we're looking for. That's what will make the U.S. Navy SEAL. We can give them big muscles or anything that we want, but we can't, we can't instill that level of trust. Yeah, I I th I love the thoughts that have been circulating today. I think that's it, it's been great. I hate to like kind of I I've been looking at the time here and sure. cut this off, but uh, I want to ask the quote unquote intelligent question of the day. So, Mike, I'm really excited to hear what your answer is on this. But you know, for some of these kids that you know they're out on their own for the first time, you know, they're listening to this podcast. What would you say is the best way they can build trust in their relationships with other people? Without a doubt, just absolutely be trustworthy, regardless of how people respond to you, regardless of what it costs you. Be honest, forthright, transparent, and trustworthy. It will nearly always pay off in the long run. And, um, and that's, that's regarding someone else's autonomy as well. Be trustworthy. Yeah, I... Thank you for sharing that. That, of course, great thing, full circle there. That was, that was great. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you again for coming on. But I know you've mentioned you've had, you know, have courses, you do public speaking, you do various things here. So what would you say is the best way that people can reach out to you if they want to do business with you, have you on their podcast, or what's the best way they can get in connection with you? Probably number one is uh, my website, which is www.mdpage.org. M like Michael, D like David, P-A-G-E dot org. You can connect with me through that website. Uh, that website will allow you to text me directly. I'll also take a phone call. And uh, I've, I've always been open with my cell number. Never once had anyone take advantage of that in a negative way. But you can reach me directly at 415 415- 
654-7136, where an email address is michael at mdpage.org. But I'd be happy to have any kind of conversation or connection as you need. Sweet. So thank you for sharing that. I Again, I, I was so thrilled when my grandfather referred you. He was, I, I was just excited. I, I think ethics is something that, that this world needs. It's something we need to understand a little bit more. And especially this coming generation, I think we really have an opportunity here to, you know, change the world for better. So again, thank you for coming on, Mike. I just thank you so much for coming on, Mike. Thank you, Josh. It was it was engaging for me. I love your questions. Very thoughtful questions and so important, especially in this arena. And nice job for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So everyone, that is Mike Page. As you can tell, he's a very intelligent person, has great things to say. I would go check him out if you want to reach out to him. He dropped the information for you guys there. Stay tuned till next week. We have a great guest lined up for you guys as well. See you guys next week. And let's get after it. Hey, everyone. If you liked this episode and would like to hear more, be sure to hit that subscribe or follow button. We release a new episode every Wednesday for you guys to listen to. Thank you guys so much for the support that you give. We could not have done this without you guys. If you would like to be a potential guest on the show, check out intelligentconvos.com and fill out the form there. Thank you guys again. And let's get after it.